Hey podcasters, social media editor and co-host Miranda Schmalf is here. As you may or may not know, Elaine has left pharmaceutical executive, but will appear in the next few episodes as they were pre-recorded. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 117 of the Farm Exec podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, editor-in-chief of Farm Exec magazine, here along with my co-host, group social media editor, Miranda Schmalfus. Farm Exec magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest insights to master the science of success. On this week's episode, Miranda and I have the pleasure of speaking with Helen Sabzabari, CEO of Presigen. Helen talks about her background as a Persian-born scientist and how her professional journey has ultimately led her to the world of precision medicine. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Helen. LabVantage Solutions is a global leader in enterprise laboratory software solutions that improve customer outcomes by transforming data into knowledge. Its intelligent LIMS platform features advanced analytics, state-of-the-art AI, and mixed reality technologies that enable revolutionary advances in the pharmaceutical industry by drawing greater insights from broad data sets. For more information, visit labvantage.com. Hello, podcasters. Today, Miranda and I will be interviewing Helen Sabzavari, CEO of Presigen. Helen is here to discuss her drive to study science as a Persian-born woman, the opportunities she's had to research immunology, and how she's now developing next-generation CAR-T treatments for cancer, in addition to other therapies. Thanks for joining us today, Helen. Thank you very much for having me. So you were born in Persia and around age 15 moved to the U.S. amid the Iranian Revolution. How did that affect your path to studying science? So I think for me was in one hand, quite exciting because as your listeners might be aware, in our countries, uh, the system of education, even at the high school level, you have to declare a major. And my major was in biology. And specifically, my interest was in cancer. And having seen a number of publications in research coming from the United States and being familiar with that, it was quite exciting, the path that I saw for myself attending the universities in the United States and having the possibility to do really deep research in the area that I was very interested. And that was quite exciting. But at the same token, there is always the emotional part of and personal part of leaving a country as well as your family in order to now go to the next step and the importance of education and following that dream was very, very high for my parents as well as for myself. And so it was sort of a excitement at the same token with a lot of emotional part of basically leaving your family at this such early age. So had you stayed in Persia, how do you think your career path would have differed? So I think would have been completely different. Because the uh, country is, first of all, even though the education level in theoretical is quite high, unfortunately, from the perspective of research and the resources that it has to be put in research and to be trained and advanced in the programs, it really doesn't exist. As you are aware, 
even around the world, United States has been at the cutting edge of science. And it's because of the resources that both from the government as well as the private sources are put into this field. And this is very limited in other countries. And I think the level of the training would have been different. And for sure, there would have not been an opportunity really to do basics, research, science, and then the drug development. Because United States has an infrastructure, especially in the biotech and pharma, that it's unlike any other place in the world. And therefore, being able to be trained, first of all, really properly in research and development, and then taking those concepts and idea and bringing it to the next level, which is development of a drug for a patient through the biotechs or pharmas. It's something that is very unique to the environment of the United States and gives you a lot of opportunity. So I don't think that I would have been in the same concept. My drive and passion was always in research and development and drugs, but I don't think I would have been able to develop the drugs that are necessary for the patients. So what's being done to help drive the advancement of women in science in Persia and other similar countries? Well, I think the universities, definitely, there is admittance of the women to the universities, and this continues. But unfortunately, in the Persia and other countries that have gone through similar type of a revolution, as we see on the political side, there is the freedoms for women have been challenged. And that is very unfortunate, and it limits the activities in these countries. So eventually your career path led you to immunology research and developing CAR-T therapies. Could you explain your work in that area? Absolutely. So I was trained actually both during my PhD and postdoctoral programs in the field of immunotherapy and cancer immunology. And then from that arena, I moved to National Institute of Health, NCI, to follow my dream in field of immuno-oncology and immunotherapy when it was not really chic and in demand. But I always felt very closely that if you can harness the basically effect of your own immune system, and if you can wake up your own immune system to recognize the cancer cells, then it really, you will have sort of treatments that will be substantial and very important for the patients. As a result of that, in my career, what I did was at NIH, I was leading the molecular immunology and cancer vaccines. And then from there, I joined Merck AGA as a global head of the immuno-oncology and senior VP of Merck AGA. And in the process with the very, very talented team, we were able to bring Bevencia, which is anti pdl one from discovery all the way to the commercialization and full development, and uh, which is one of the approved drugs now for a number of indications in head and neck, in Merkel, and other indications that are currently being tested in the clinical trials. And then from there, I knew that the next 
cutting edge for the immuno-oncology and immunotherapy was really to design your own T-cells to see the tumor and really eradicate that in your body. And the way to do that was to genetically modifying them so they will identify the tumor and only the tumor cells in your body and then destroy them. But the field of the CAR-T, and uh, we have seen the really importance of it in a hematological side, one of the biggest issues with the cell therapy or CAR-T therapy or TCR therapy for that matter is the manufacturing of uh, cells that, first of all, are genetically modified and the time of manufacturing, the cost that is associated with this manufacturing, and the access of the patients to this. And another important part, which currently a lot of the platforms are not addressing, is the fact that once you generate these cells, how long can these cells maintain themselves in the body of the patient? Because of all the elements that I discussed, the cost, the long-term manufacturing, and the accessibility of this, obviously it's important that these cells will be able to persist and uh, not only just for one shot, but it can be continuously seeing the tumor. So what we have done at Presigen, which is really differentiated from all the other platforms, is we looked at the shortcomings of other platforms and the classical CAR-Ts or TCRs and say, what should we do to address the issues and the problems that exist in a current therapies with the CAR-Ts, for instance? So one aspect of this was the design of the CAR-T. All of the classical CAR-Ts or CAR-Ts that various companies currently have, they address basically recognizing a tumor antigen. But there is really very little mechanism for basically persistence of these cells and the kinetic expansion directly in the patient. And what everyone does is they design their CAR-T and then they use uh, basically the lentiviruses to expand them outside for many weeks, you know, anywhere between four to eight weeks, it's the time of the manufacturing of this. And then you basically at the end, you have a very exhausted army of cells on your hand. Why? Because you have been activating them outside in order to expand to billions of these cells. So you can give one set of injection. And these cells, when you introduce them back to the patient, now they only have a finite life. And that's why in the majority of the clinical trials, when they looked at the blood from the patients and the samples and looked at the, do they find their CAR T cells? Even though that they injected billions of them, they were not able to see them post two weeks, maximum three weeks. And then after that, these cells were gone completely. So that's one of the biggest issues that you have to manufacture for long periods of time outside. You will spend a lot of money in a centralized manufacturing fashion. And then you have generated 
and I put it in that sort of uh, terms, an exhausted army with the limitation of fighting the enemy, which is the tumor cells for a very short period of time. This is not a sustainable way of treatment for the patients. As you know, the current cost of the CAR-T is almost gets close to half a million dollars and for one-time treatment. This is not, you cannot repeat it. Majority of the patient cannot have access to it. And even the ones that they have access to it, sometimes the time of manufacturing is not sufficient. Even in regard to the off the shelf, we have the similar scenarios that the manufacturing cost is very high. You can produce enough material for 50 patients at a time, and it still takes two weeks or three weeks to get there. And it's the same exhausted cells at the end of the day. Plus you have to introduce now either heavy editing to these cells or heavy lymphodepletion in this patient population. Seeing all of that, our company and our team decided that we will be addressing each one of those issues. And in our ultra CAR-T platform, what we have done is we have first taken a design that besides the CAR-T, we have incorporated a membrane-bound IL-15, which I refer to as a backpack of food for these cells almost. It's a cytokine that keeps these cells in the absence of any antigen alive and persist. And then when they come across the tumor, it allows them to expand rapidly. And we also have incorporated in design of our ultra car, basically a safety switch. In a case of any kind of toxicity, we should be able to eliminate these cells from the patient's body. And that is something also unique that majority of the CAR-Ts don't have it. And the reason for that is because they use lentivirus to introduce these genes to the T cells. And the lentivirus has a very limited payload, maybe only one gene at best if you push two genes when then you drop your manufacturing basically ability. We use a non-viral system. And it's what we have designed is these plasmids that now we can go to at the moment three and more genes that we can introduce into a T cell. And in the process, we also develop what we refer to as an ultraporator, which is a machine that is semi-closed and it allows us to electroporate 4 billion T cells under 12 minutes with the plasmids that we have designed. Why is this important? It's important because it's rapid. You can do it at the hospital site. You don't need a centralized manufacturing anymore. And now the cost of this procedure becomes much less because you do this overnight, you have put a mechanism in these T cells that once you introduce them back to their patient, these are autologous so from the same patient, then once they see the tumor, they grow, they expand, they clean up that tumor, and in the absence of the tumor, they still persist, but they are controlling themselves. This is a very unique mechanism it takes you away from a centralized manufacturing for weeks upon weeks outside. It takes you away from a high price tag of manufacturing, which is almost 
$300,000 of the price tag of these drawings. And it allows you very rapidly to basically produce the ultra car teeth for the same patient from the T cells of that patient overnight. And this is something that no other company has been able to address at this point. And we are the first company and really differentiated in that setting. And it allows now, especially patients in an indication such as AML, for instance, that we are running our clinical trial in, that they have very short time to live at the two to three months sometimes to rapidly have access to this drug product. At the same token, it allows the investigators and oncologists to give and repeat dose if six months later, if they need, if patients need another dose, you can actually turn a deadly cancer indication to a chronic situation with this and give another dose because you can rapidly manufacture it and you can the price tag will be much less. And it's done directly at the hospital, not at our company or another CRO outside or manufacturing side that will require then a huge amount of time for expansion as well as the price tag that is associated with this kind of a treatment. So that's what it makes our ultra car unique. And for me, really, I would see that the gene and cell therapy, it's the next wave of immuno-oncology. We have done the checkpoint inhibitors and myself and my team when I was at Merck, KGA, and definitely is one of the best drugs that has come out for a number of indications. However, it's not the silver bullet. It does not, as the data have been showing in a number of indications, checkpoint inhibitors do not work at all. And when they are working also, still, it's not 100%. You have, for instance, in a head and neck scenario, 18% of the patients, they respond. Is this better than before? Absolutely. Is this where we need to be? Absolutely not. We have to do better than that. We still have 82% of patients that are not responding. And we need to do better for these patients. And not only in this indication, but many, many other indications. So that's why my passion for the field of CAR-T therapy, ultra-CAR-T, and the gene therapy in general, as I see it as a next cutting edge of immune-oncology. How do you believe CAR-T therapy can change cancer treatment and the lives of patients? It can be a great progress in a cancer treatment. And the reason for that is the first results that we are seeing, for instance, in ALL patients has done already on a hematological setting, really achieving a type of objective responses that no other therapies had achieved. So definitely the promise of the CAR-T therapy is there, and we have seen it in the approvals that has been multiple myeloma or in an ALL. The issue and the limitation has been, as I mentioned, the number of factors that I mentioned, but also in the solid tumors. Because unfortunately, as much as the CAR-Ts have done great in the hematological settings, it has been no success at all in the solid tumors. 
And the field has been looking at this from perspective of, well, it's not trafficking. These cells, they're not trafficking. And it is correct. And they are not trafficking for a number of reasons. First of all, when you introduce an exhausted army of T cells, you know, an exhausted army will not be moving that fast. That's what happens for the lack of better terminology here. But secondly, this army of T cells have not been designed in order to persist. T cells, they require certain elements and cytokines to keep them alive and for them to persist, especially if they don't see their antigen, or in this case, the tumor antigens immediately. In a hematological setting, when you inject billions of these T cells directly into the blood stream, because the tumor blasts are in the blood, they immediately come to head-on contact with their antigen and they can expand and limit it, uh, but they can see the antigen, they can see the tumor cells and kill them. In a solid tumor, majority of the tumor cells are in metastatic lesions in different organs. In order to get there, you have to circulate, you have to have time, you have to get there, and you have to see these cells. And these exhausted army that classical CAR-Ts have been manufactured according to that, it just doesn't have enough time. As I mentioned, the clinical samples, they show that majority, if not all of them, in majority of the patients are or not being seen in the, after two or three weeks of post-infusion. So that is one of the biggest challenges that the field of the cell therapy in general has for a solid tumors. And that was one of the major reasons that we designed around this and introduced our membrane-bound IL-15, which I always say is a backpack of food for these T cells. Because once these sort of stem-like cells, which are not exhausted because we didn't expand them outside at all, are infused back to the patient, if they don't see the antigen in the blood in the cases of solid tumors, and we are in a clinical trial for ovarian tumor, and we will be opening up another trial for triple negative breast cancer tumor patients, that they can circulate, they have time, and they have the means to persist until they get to the sites that tumor lesions exist. And then at the site, when they see the tumor, they can further expand and start cleaning up the tumor cells. So that is what I believe in from our perspective and from our basically platform is well also differentiated, not only on a hematological side, but also on a solid tumors. Well, Helen, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been really interesting learning about your background, your passion for science and your desire to help others. Thank you very much for having me, and I really appreciate being with you. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from Pharma Execs. Hi, I'm Helen Sabzavari. I'm the CEO and president of Presagen. And my leadership tip is actually two basically advice that I got. One has been always you lead from the base, and that is the most important 
uh, when you become a leader for be part of your teams. And second thing that I always tell my team is the difference for the best leaders is that you can anticipate various scenario in advance and be prepared for it. And that's what it makes a difference in how fast you can react and having that plan B, C, and D in place would allow basically you and your team to move in a very challenging environment, for instance. And that I think has really been fundamental for me as a leader, those advice. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of Farmexec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editor-in-Chief Elaine Quilici at E-Q-U-I-L-I-C-I at MJHLifeSciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at T-B-A-K-E-R at MJHLifeSciences.com.